Welcome. In this special one-hour episode, hormone and menopause expert Dr. Ashley Alexis takes us on a deep dive into the science behind hormone replacement therapy. To go deeper into this conversation, visit Dr. Alexis at Menopause Doctor on TikTok or GoldenLeafHC.com to promote hormone health that leads to deep, restful sleep and a clear, focused mind during the day. Visit us at www.sojin.co. You can use the code FLOWSTATE at checkout for 25% off all products on our site. Dr. Ashley Alexis, thank you so much for coming on the Flow State Podcast. Pleasure to be here. We're excited to have you on, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, just to start things off, I want to admit I am not extremely knowledgeable about hormone replacement therapy or the impacts of hormones on mood at midlife. So I'm really excited about this conversation and really curious about this conversation and also coming into it with a very much, very much an open mind, curious to learn, and also some questions that I have as well, um, and a little bit of a skeptical line. So I wanted to start off the conversation by asking a question that kind of was put in my mind by a previous guest that I had on the podcast named Anne-Marie McQueen, who is a journalist that covers the topic of perimenopause and menopause. And one of the things that she said to me uh, through her research and writing about perimenopause and also being a woman who is in perimenopause, she said, as she's navigated midlife, she sort of found that, hey, there's a lot of things going on at this time in my life for me and for other women. There's a lot of things going on for us. And um, it's some of it is attributed to hormonal changes. Some of it is attributed to menopause or perimenopause. Other parts of it are related to coming to terms with changes in our lives, other, you know, whether that's situational changes, maybe changes in our relationships, changes in our family dynamic, um, changes in our work relationships. And other parts of it too are also kind of redefining maybe parts about our identity. And these are kind of how her words, not so much mine. So I wanted to start with that kind of question, which is, as you think about, you know, your work as a doctor, naturopathic doctor, um, specializing in hormones and providing different types of hormone replacement therapy treatments for your patients, how much of what you're helping with is, is hormonal related or menopause or perimenopause related? And how much of it is kind of a part of a bigger, broader conversation that is happening or should be happening in, in society? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot to unpack there. And I like the way that she explained um, her experience and the information that she's come across, because what I, you know, I talk to my patients about this all the time. Perimenopause, menopause causes you to pause and check in with yourself because there's so many changes happening at midlife and it could be family, work, identity, all of that is, you know, it's all encompassing. And so to have that pause really allows women to evaluate everything in every aspect of her life. Now, there's a huge component of hormonal changes. And let's talk about what's happening here. In perimenopause, that's when hormones start to decline, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Mm -hmm. And they all have an impact on every physiological aspect of our bodies, our biochemistry, our neurochemistry. And so 
you can say in a way that maybe those changes are amplifying, you know, the experiences that women are going through. Hmm. So as a, you know, as a doctor in my role is to address the hormone component, but we also talk about all the lifestyle factors that are the foundation of health, because no matter what I do, if, if they're not sleeping right, if they have, um, don't have like proper stress management practices, if they don't have a good community, then, you know, I could, what I could do can be helpful, but it's not going to really make a huge impact. Hmm. So in my work, I really target the hormonal changes that are affecting the physiology of my patients because they're so intertwined in our neurochemistry, our neurotransmitters, um, our physical body, um, everything. So Mm -hmm. yes, there's so many things going into menopause and perimenopause, but a lot of that can be exacerbated by hormone replacement therapy. So, and we'll talk about this later, but as we bring in hormones, all it's like, of the weight has been lifted off my patient's shoulders because they're able to face these difficult things or changes in a whole new perspective. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's definitely all encompassing. Thanks for kind of untangling that a little bit. And just to kind of continue yeah. that sort of untangling that you're talking about there, um, have you been able to, are you able to, or have you been able to sort of pinpoint or identify, you know, sort of the point at which you know, with your hormone, with hormone treatments, you're able to help people, help a woman, like up to what point you're able to help a woman. And then sort of at a certain point, it's, you know, Hey, it's kind of, that sort of extends beyond the the purview of what I'm able, what, what we can help with and what we can provide. Um, I guess, yeah, kind of how encompassing, how all encompassing is it? How comprehensive is it, um, in terms of impacting somebody's lifestyle? Um, Cause there's a lot of things, right. As you, as you like mentioned, there's a lot of things like you could go diet, nutrition, exercise, life. You can make lifestyle changes. Um, you can breath work, meditation, all these things like that people kind of suggest like, and the internet, social media is full of, uh, of ideas. Right. Um, but I like how research focused you are and your content and your approach and how you clearly care about the outcome of your patients. I think that's clear. So um, I think that there's something special about the content that you're putting out there and about your philosophy and your approach. And so I'm curious, like, I guess um, this must be having a pretty, pretty significant impact or a pretty big impact in and of itself um, to focus, you know, on, for you to focus on this, to choose to focus on this as an approach. Yeah, absolutely. So there are about 2 million women that enter menopause a year. And that's not even addressing the perimenopausal women um, where you know this whole process is, starts even in our late 30s. So there are therapists, there are nutritionists, there are you know tr- uh, personal trainers, there are so many um, available resources for addressing all those foundations. And I help my patients kind of make those connections, Mm. but there's not a lot of menopause specialists or perimenopause specialists. Mm. And so over the years in my practice, I found that that's the need that for women specifically is not being addressed. Mm -hmm. And our medical system is not um, providing that support. We we don't even get trained really how to address menopausal patients in medical school. So, you know, other than like some outdated old, you know, therapies and research and, you know, that's a whole other story. Um, and so women are often left to fend for themselves or suffer in silence. Hmm. And so 
I've, you know, made it my mission to solely focus on an area that women are in most need of. Mm-hmm. You know, women, there are doctors that help women with their menstrual cycles, with fertility. You know, you can, there's an abundance of them or vaginal issues, you know, but when it comes to menopause and perimenopause, it's just crickets out there. <laughs> and now, you know, we're closer to getting to a point where women have more resources than before. More people are talking about it and more women are expressing their need for it. More women are going to their OBGYNs and primary care providers for it. So, you know, I feel like, and I have hope in the future that we're headed in the right direction. Yeah. But there is a, there is a huge need here. And that's why I focus here. I, you know, I'm trained as a naturopathic medical doctor. So we were trained in all areas of the body um, and putting the whole picture together. And so a lot of my wonderful, amazing, brilliant colleagues do an amazing job doing that. For me specifically, I was called in this direction. And so I had to follow that desire to like be a resource and really um, make it a mission to educate women about the options so that they don't have to suffer in silence. Yeah. So, you know, I can help in many other ways, but I just choose to focus here because there's the most need at this time, you know, of my life and my practice. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, there's definitely so many areas to address though, for sure. I want to hear more about your story and I'll make sure to, to get to that in a bit. Um, before we get into your story and what led you to what you're doing, um, can we talk a little bit about the safety of hormone therapy? I know this is something that you've talked about and some of the content that you've created. And there's some questions around, you know, is it, you know, what are kind of the potential side effects of it? What are the risks of it? Can you talk a little bit about sort of the conversation that's going on around the safety of it? Absolutely. So for decades before this study came out in 2002, claiming that, you know, there's a big cancer risk with hormones, doctors were prescribing hormones to women. I believe starting in the 40s or 50s, estrogen, synthetic estrogen, um, conjugated equine estrogen, which is made from horse urine, was being prescribed. Mm. And then in 2002, um, a billion dollar study was put together. um, And the uh, creators of the study, the leaders of the study had an objective. And there's this really good book called Estrogen Matters. An oncologist and a colleague of his wrote this book, uh, totally breaking down this whole study Mm. that the uh, Women's Health Initiative ran. So basically, they took women um, over the age of 60, which is not typically when you start hormone replacement therapy, who were not in good health, although they said they were, you know, representation representatives of healthy women. They had diabetes, they um, were smokers, they had high cholesterol. So they already had elevated risk factors for breast cancer on their own. Okay. Okay. So then they brought in a conjugated equine estrogen, which is a synthetic estrogen and a synthetic progesterone. Okay. Um, and gave to these women. And it was stopped after five years because they claimed that there was a 20% increased risk of breast cancer. Now, when you report science, you report the um, absolute risk and the relative risk. Okay. So what it actually broke down to was they saw an increase in cases of four in 10,000 cases to five in 10,000 cases, which is not statistically significant in any you know type of research community. Mm. But 20% increased risk is what made headlines. And so that's what they ran with. And it affected millions of women all around the world. And women were taking off, taken off their hormones because of the study. Since then, the leaders of that study have retracted their statement. And we have plenty of research showing estrogens, specifically estrogens, um, uh, ability to prevent cardiovascular disease, which is the number one killer for women over the age of 50. Hmm. Um, it's protection for osteoporosis. And I believe the statistic was like one in two women over the age of 60 will fall and break up a hip that will you know, lead to their death eventually. 
um, and cognitive decline, dementia or you know Alzheimer's dementia. Okay. So the impacts and benefits that estrogen have for the majority of the population outweigh any of those risks. Okay. Um, no research study has shown that estrogen causes breast cancer. Okay. Um, what it does do is if there's cancer already present in the breast tissue, it causes it to grow faster. And we want that because we want to catch it sooner on screening. So it's not in the late stages of cancer, um, you know, where, you know, the, um, uh, the outcome could be a lot more fatal. We want to catch it in the early stages. And so there's a lot of nuance there. And then we have the synthetic hormones that were used in the study. And then we have bioidentical hormones hmm. and then we have oral estrogens and we have topical estrogens. They have different risks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, we can't make blanket statements, but people tend to, to tend to do, especially doctors conventionally now and that don't know about this information that, Oh, you can't take hormones. It's dangerous. It'll cause this, that, and the other. So we talked about, you know, where that fear came from. So that was a breast cancer issue. Then we have the uterine cancer issue. So estrogen naturally and our normal menstrual cycles grows a uterine lining. And then around it sounds like, 12, just to kind of interject. There, yeah. It sounds like, so there's some questions around, there's some conversations taking place around the, the findings of that 2002 study, the reliability of those findings. And yeah. there's been some subsequent research and maybe some anecdotal evidence that possibly suggests some different otherwise uh, that, that suggests exactly. contrary to what that data was saying or that what that report Absolutely. was saying. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. There's a lot that goes into that study. You can get the study and read it, um, you know, and it, it just shows the um, subjects. It shows, you know, everything that, you know, had taken place. But what was not in that study is the actual breakdown of what happened and the background information of, you know, the, the intention behind doing that study. And it was a billion dollar study. You know, it's rare that's ever going to be repeated again, but they wanted to make headlines. Like we, you know, we spent a lot of money. We're going to make some movement here. So this, we're going to take this and run with it. So, you know, unfortunately that was, you know, detrimental to a lot of women. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And now we're in the years of correcting that. And I have a lot of women that, you know, tell me or reach out to me saying, yeah, I was taking off my hormones and they're in their, you know, seventies or whatever, 60, seventies. And it, my life was never the same. You know, I really suffered or my mom, I know someone in my mom or grandmother, whoever were taking off their hormones and they suffered. And it really had a huge impact. Hmm. Um, the reason that, you know, younger women don't have the, at higher at, you know, highest rate, higher rates than um, women in their fifties and sixties of breast cancer, heart disease is because of estrogen. Um, so, you know, a lot of benefits there, but, um, as far as the uterine cancer, um, estrogen builds a uterine lining and then it drops and then we have progesterone and then we shed that uterine lining. Okay. In the menstrual cycle. Okay. So when we give women an estrogen, it could still build that uterine lining in menopause. So we have to give progesterone to stop that from happening. But back in the day, they didn't know that. So Kaiser, you know, the hospital Kaiser Permanente, they did a study and showed, oh, when we give progesterone with estrogen, you don't get the uterine cancer anymore. So that was taken care of back, you know, I believe in the nineties. Okay. Yeah, the 80s or 90s. Interesting. So, yeah. So we, we, you know, there's a lot, you know, that, you know, the the fear, unfortunately, is is unwarranted because it's just, it was kind of like, I don't know, an, an evil thing that happened. But um, we now have a lot of information. And, you know, there are, you know, nothing's black and white. There's always risks. So we always want to be careful. That's why I have my patients do their screenings. And we do, you know, regular lab testing and check-ins and all of that. Um, but you know, the benefits of hormone replacement therapy for most women outweigh the risks. Interesting. Okay. 
Yeah. I want to talk about the natural versus kind of unnatural side of it. Um, mm -hmm. The, you know, what is, for some people, they prefer to do things that are natural. I'm one of those people. I prefer to, as a kind of first line of defense, will we'll generally prefer to do some, change yeah. something about my lifestyle or my diet or, you know, do whatever I can um, in order to, to, as a first line of defense. And then medication is almost like, you know, if I need to, there's a disease or a virus or something like that. And some people won't even take it then, uh, you know, I will, but there's different kind of thoughts on that. But um, the natural versus unnatural side of it is sort of interesting to me. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, maybe yeah. we could just start, I have a follow-up question that, but maybe we could just start with that. It's like the, you know, there are synthetic out there and then it sounds like there's also some bioidentical hormones, but you know, maybe yeah. could you kind of go into what the treatments are and what sort of treatments um, you, what sort of hormone treatments you like, if there are natural ones out there, what those look like, how those work, how those are made. Talk about that a little yeah. bit. Um, and then maybe compare contrast yeah. with others. If there's other things out there that you actually don't, you know, encourage women to use or, or, or have more questions about. Yes, absolutely. So um, we have synthetic and we have non-synthetic. Um, okay. There's a little controversy of, around the term bioidentical, um, but like a lot of people like to call them body identical. Okay. Synthetic hormones, um, as I mentioned, of course, you know, made from horse urine, right? Um, they take the urine of pregnant horses and that's a lot of controversy in that process and, you know, how the animals are treated. But okay. then we have the body. So pregnant horses bio. have more estrogen in their urine. Okay. So they take it out. Okay. Back in the day, they used to actually use, um, with, you know, pregnant women's urine to make hormones. But, you know, that was a lot more expensive than using horses. So <laughs> they progressed to horses. Wow. Um, wow. Found a, you have, found a market <laughs> yeah. for your pee. That's pretty, actually, right? sweet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you don't get nearly as much urine from women as you do from horses. So, you know, <laughs> that works. But then we have um, the bioidentical. I guess that's so, where they get that expression, pee like a racehorse, right? Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> very abundant, very abundant. So um, then you get the uh, the bioidentical from plants. And so it's uh, sourced from a Mexican wild yam or soy plant. That's where they're, you know, generally received from. Um, and so the controversy with body bioidentical term, it implies that it's 100% natural. Both of these compounds are taken to a lab and then processed to be used as a you know, medication or for us to be used as hormones. You can't just eat a yam and then get the hormone effect, right? So we have to take those components and then process it. So they both are processed, but the original biochemical structure of the hormone that's extracted from that yam is 100% identical to human hormones. Okay. Mm. So it's like we're bringing the hormones back into our system versus using another species hormones, which has a different effect in the body. Mm. Okay. So the, um, it's sourced in that way, same biochemical structure. That's why it's called body identical or bioidentical, but they're both processed. They're not just, you know, came out of the plant and that was it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have different forms of taking hormones. So there's topical, uh, where it's like a cream or a gel. There's oral in a capsule or pill. Um, there's patches. So it's like this little small square patch that women will just put on their abdomen and it just, you know, that has adhesive. So it sticks there for a few days. Um, there's injections, um, and then there's pellets. Um, so, you know, 
in my practice, I focus and only prescribe bioidentical hormones. Most of my patients are on creams and some are on patches. And then progesterone, which I said has to be given with estrogen if she has her uterus, is either given in a pill form or a cream. Okay. okay. Now, one differentiation I'm going to make is the difference between oral estrogen and topical estrogen. Mm -hmm. Whether the oral estrogen is body identical or synthetic, the body processes oral estrogen in a way that increases clotting factors and inflammatory markers. So they have an increased risk for stroke okay, um, and blood clots, just like birth control for women. Birth control is synthetic estrogens and synthetic progesterones, and they also have those risks. That's why I do not prescribe oral estrogens. I prescribe topical transdermal estrogens, okay. which um, I believe is a Swedish study showed that um, there are no increased risk for clotting or um, stroke, you know, stroke or clotting mm. risks at all. Mm. So topical estrogen is the safest form. Now, some doctors pre prescribe injections. Some doctors give pellets. Um, pellets is an in-office procedure where they insert a little, you know, Little, little bigger than like a rice grain size pellet into her top of the glute or fatty tissue there. Mm. And it sits there for three or four months and slowly absorbs into the system. Mm. A lot of women do well with it. Some don't. Once it's in there, you can't change it. The dosing, if it's, if it's dosed too low and you don't feel anything, you have to wait to your next insertion three or four months down the line. If it's dosed too high, you have to deal with the consequences of having elevated hormones until it's, you know, done as well. Okay. So, you know, some women do well, some don't. I, like I said, I don't do any of that. I just prescribe the topical um, hormones, which, you know, I know has been shown in studies to be safe. Um, and my patients do really well with. So two follow-up questions about that. The topical hormone, um, talk about the bioidentical part about that for a minute. Like when you say that it's identical, the estrogen in the yam mm -hmm. is identical to the estrogen that's in a human. What does that mean yeah. exactly? Yeah, so all of our molecules have little biochemical structures. Mm -hmm. And so the biochemical structures are what you would find inside the human body. So it's it's identical. Um, and that's why it's called, you know, body identical. Um, was that what you're asking? Yeah, like, yeah, basically. And then, yeah. yeah, that's what I was. And so it's identical in that it's just like all the, uh, all the molecules are it, like arranged in the same way. So. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, the whole carbon structure. And so basically um, with the body identical structure, um, uh, just had a thought. Okay. It left me. It'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, essentially it's, it's, it's the same molecules that we find in the human body. So we're basically just, you know, bringing that back in. And it's also interesting and cool and seems a little bit just intuitively, like on hearing it, it seems a little bit more natural that you're getting it from a, some so from something that's part of the diet right and you're basically basically taking that food source and you you're refining it um to concentrate a compound that's that's in it basically um mm -hmm. how many yams would you have to eat yeah great question <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> there's not i mean gosh to get the estrogen um levels there's you you wouldn't be able to eat <laughs> as much lamb. like i said there's a process to it you know that's you know definitely what the you know lab companies and you know pharmacists have to they'll know a little bit more about that process but yeah no it's definitely something that needs to be extracted <laughs> a lot of yams okay yes yeah <laughs>
So um, maybe good to increase your sweet potato intake anyways during sure. menopause repair. You get a lot of but... antioxidants and crot <laughs> yeah, noise. There's so many benefits. And I will say, you know, um, as far as knowing if you have, if you are taking an estrogen or progesterone, how do you know it's body identical? That it says estradiol. Estradiol, it says progesterone. If there's any other words um, different or attached to that, it's synthetic hormones. So, um, you that's know, good to know, just want to make that clear. I get that question a lot. How do I know if I'm taking it? Well, if it says estradiol, you know, then that's what you're taking. Estradiol, that's the estrogen one. And then what's the name of the progesterone one? Progesterone one? Yeah, just, just progesterone. Just yep, progesterone. just progesterone. Okay. So, synthetic progesterone are called progestins. Progestins, they're usually found in like birth control and all of that. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it's straightforward. Just like, you know, something's, you know, natural that you're eating. There's not that many ingredients. There's no weird words in there. It's clear as day. <laughs> this is what this is. This is, yes, <laughs> that's better than, than, exactly. than there being a lot of other things in there and stuff you don't know. Yeah. Means you can't pronounce all that stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so, Absolutely. so you, so you can get it from a yam and then when you get it from a yam, then I mean, you take a cream so that, you you know, cream is a really interesting one because that one you just put on this, you just take it topically, I guess. And it, it's mm -hmm. like, um, I've never seen it. Is it like, you know, how does that work? Is it you you just absorb it through your skin basically? And then it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So we have our patients apply it to our inner thighs okay. or under the arms, wherever there's the most fat tissue. Um, it is a fat soluble topical. So it needs to have fat tissue to absorb in the system. Um, and what's interesting is I had a patient say, wait, I'm applying this cream here. What about the other products that I use? Are those absorbing into my system? Well, I'm like, yes, they are. <laughs> you know, so yes, it, it absorbs through our system just like any other, you know, you know, skincare that people use. Okay. Um, and, you know, we say, you know, don't shower or jump in water for about 45 minutes so it's fully absorbed. Um, we worry about transference. We don't want uh, when our pets, our kids, or our partners to also get these hormones. So there's a lot, lot that goes into it being mindful. But essentially, you put it on the skin. If it's a topical, you know, um, gel or cream, or if the patch, then there's different certain places that you apply the patch as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you put it on the, and then does that make it, um, how does that get absorbed? Does that make it into the bloodstream if you, if you put it on your skin that way, or how yes. does that kind of get metabolized like in the body just out of curiosity? Yeah. Whole biochemical process that I am not fully aware of. Okay. But yeah. It gets absorbed in the skin into your capillaries, into your blood. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's it. That's super interesting. Um, mm -hmm. so that sounds pretty um, that sounds pretty, my, my other kind of question about the natural side of things is like, um, what happens for a woman that's taking this, like, I guess what, what else works? What else would work is kind of my other question because, um, you know, for a woman that w goes through perimenopause, uh, hormones are fluctuating and eventually yeah. you know your the woman's ovaries are no longer producing estrogen and so then yeah. it's coming from your adrenal glands right and then yes. like when perimenopause you know the menopause transition is kind of complete and your ovaries are no longer producing any estrogen and it's just coming from the adrenal glands then at that point in time you know is there um what is sort of in your opinion like 
is there like a healthy state, I guess, like a, almost like a, a homeostasis, a new steady state of baseline hormone levels that the body can produce that produces a mood, produces a frame of mind, produces kind of that, that is kind of where people feel great again. Um, <laughs> and so I guess my question about that is kind of how much of this is, um, a challenge, a transition where things are changing and a lot of things are changing. And it's really helpful to have some sort of therapeutic support during that transition to help the body normalize versus how much is that it, that we are not getting into, we have such a, a, a misunderstanding or a, a misunderstanding of what's happening in, in women's bodies and we're not treating it or prioritizing these women appropriately. So we're not even getting them to the, the appropriate end state where they're, where yeah. they can be healthy again, because the body has a natural process, but we're just not letting that happen. Um, and yep. so I hope that's, that kind of is clear, but I'm yeah. sort of, yeah. Uh, if that, if that yeah, makes I'll, sense, I'd love for you to just kind of dive in. I have some thoughts for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, there are women, a very few percentage of women that go through perimenopause and menopause just fine with no symptoms, with no issues. Um, and then you have the majority of the population, over over 80% of women who are, their, their, their experience is very tumultuous. So mm. women are, we are our healthiest when we are menstruating because of the rise and falls and fall of the different hormones that we make, mm. okay? As those start to change, that's when we start to feel bad for the most part, okay? Um, we start to feel, uh, you know, the anxiety, depression. We have trouble sleeping, vaginal dryness, so we can't enjoy intimacy with our partner. You know, the the mood swings, all of that can be a, can happen in, in perimenopause, like I said, even as early as our late 30s. Mm. So some women have the idea, oh, I can't wait to get to menopause. So one, my, my period would stop, can stop, but also I'll feel so much better. Unfortunately, that's not what happens for most women. Hmm. So like I said, we're at our healthiest when we are menstruating. And once our ovaries stop producing the hormones, and yes, we still get some support from our adrenal glands, but it's nowhere near the levels we were before. Hmm. Most women also go through chronic stress in their life. So they don't have a fully optimized adrenal function and output of cortisol and other hormones as well. Yeah. So most women don't experience, you know, the, uh, you know, optimal health in menopause. And that's where the majority of women do so much better with hormones. Mm. So, and, and hormones is what I specialize in. So that's, you know, my approach, but there are tons of other, you know, therapies that women go towards, whether it's herbs, focusing on nutrition, focusing on, you know, lifestyle and I'm sorry, exercise um, that can help stabilize things a little bit more. And, and women do great with that. Mm -hmm. Um you know, not much is going to take away your hot flashes uh, like estrogen will. And it's interesting. I had a conversation with a male friend of mine who just thought hot flashes were, um, oh, yeah, you just get a little hot and sweaty. I tell you, it's nothing like that. <laughs> now, what it's been described to me as starting in your toes, uh, a sensation that starts in your feet and moves up like a heat wave through your body. This can last anywhere from 30 10, 30 seconds to half an hour or more for some women. And this doesn't only just happen once a day. It happens all throughout the day and all throughout the night. So this is very disruptive to how a woman, um, how she performs at work, how she engages with her family, 
normal activities throughout the day, grocery shopping, whatever it is, it impacts everything. So that's how serious this is. Wow. And so wow. if, if nothing else is working, like, you know, adrenal support, which can be very effective for reducing hot flashes for, for some women, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you know, phosphatidylserine, ashwagandha, holy basil, um, schizandra, think herbs that really help to tonify the adrenal glands, um, or black cohosh, another somewhat controver- controversial herb for menopause. Um, so women do well with, you know, lowering um, uh, hot flashes. There's also a, a uh, Estrovera has a red rhubarb plant that also has some studies showing some effectiveness with hot flashes. Mm-hmm. And some women do well with all of those. Um, but estrogen is number one and amongst other symptoms. I was just, you know, talking about that one, but a lot of these symptoms are so disruptive that if you really want to get the most bang for your buck for the majority of women, hormones are, are it. So as far as getting women to a baseline to, to kind of like wrap that up and answer your question, it depends on the person. Um, but in my experience, hormones is what does that. Mm best it's really interesting so one pick out some of those little things that you said first is um the the new baseline i guess when the ovaries stop producing estrogen and the adrenal glands produce estrogen the estrogen will be in most cases or maybe in all cases correct me you know let me know it will be lower um it will be lower the adrenal glands generally Mm -hmm. will be producing less estrogen um is that right Correct. Okay. Yep. Not nowhere near the levels that we were when we we're menstruating. Absolutely. Okay. So the level is lower then. And then, um, do you typically see, are you typically working with women that are, that are, um, going to be taking hormone therapy for like the rest of their life or kind of how does, or is it their, their period of time when it's like the most helpful, like just kind of curious about, about yep. that. Yes. So if women don't start hormone replacement therapy in perimenopause, and I'll take a pause here to, to discuss that really quickly. Yeah. Um, in perimenopause, there's early, middle, and late stages of perimenopause, right? So I work with my patients to decide what the approach with hormones would be at that time. Sometimes we're just doing a little bit of estrogen and then maybe a little bit of progesterone at certain days of the cycle to give them a boost. So we're totally not overriding their system because their body's still making hormones. If it's later stage in perimenopause, or say they're going months without a period, randomly will go a little bit more aggressively with hormones. So it's a little bit more nuanced in perimenopause. So if they haven't started hormones in perimenopause and they're in menopause, the best window of time to start hormones is within 10 years of your last menstrual cycle. Okay. Or for women who have an oophorectomy where their ovaries are removed 10 years from that point. So it, and, and there's hysterectomy, hysterectomies, there's oophorectomies. If you have your uterus removed and still have your ovaries in place, you, your ovaries are still working. Okay. But if you immediately take out those ovaries, it puts you right into menopause, no matter how old you are. So we would have to start from that point. So the best time to start hormones is within 10 years because, and there needs to be a lot more data and studies on this topic, but some very few studies show that, um, uh, the year, say year 11, that you haven't had hormones, but you want to start hormones, you may have an increased risk of a cardiovascular risk. Um, your, your cholesterol markers, or LP little A might increase or LDL markers might increase, but it only for one year and then it drops. And so that so cardiovascular risk there. The second um, concern is cognitive decline or dementia. Depends on the person, their family history, but there might be an increased risk there. So you know, it's kind of like a gray area right now. I have a handful of patients because their quality of life was suffering so bad. Mm-hmm. We decided that, you know, 
hormones would be optimal or would be the best approach for them because they they want to enjoy their lives. Yeah. Um, and on the other side of that, there's no cutoff time for hormones for body identical hormones. Um, like I said, the synthetic have more risk. I wouldn't want a, a woman on that for 30, 40 years. But if they're doing topical transdermal hormones, there's no cutoff for that. So there are women in their 80s and 90s still doing the hormones and they feel amazing. Amazing. You know, amazing. And if we think about it, you know, say the average woman starts um, her, uh, menopause at 52, she could potentially have 30, 40 more years of life. Why should she suffer through that time and not right. be able to be intimate and have energy and, and all of that? Yeah. So it's a good way to uh, one of my previous uh, guests really put it a good way. She said, you know, our medical system in the U.S. is, um, Claudia Steppen is her name. She said, our medical system in the U.S. is really a um, reactionary, treat people, make people who are really sick, healthy. It's it's mm -hmm. not set up to do a great job at optimizing um, and helping you get the most out of your years and the most out of your quality of life. And that's really what kind of we're talking about here, right? Because you go, you know, I've heard stories of people, some of our customers, other guests I've had on the show, like say they kind of, I, I hear this story a lot. They say they go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, your hormone levels are fine. Like that's not it. And it's almost like they're really quickly just like, oh, like that must not be the issue. Then I'm just going to go right yeah. to like, and I'm just going to go right to just sucking this up and toughing this out. Yeah. And then yeah. it's just so interesting how quickly that answer just sort of like, because it maybe I don't know if it's because it comes from a doctor or what, but it's just so interesting how quickly that answer just kind of gets internalized. And then the assumption becomes, this is just the way it is. And it's really cool to hear you saying like, there is alternative, there is another, there is another way if you kind of keep pushing back against that narrative that this is the way that has to be that the only option is really to take, you know, antidepressant, anti-anxiety, whatever sleep medication, to just try to like treat these symptoms that you're having. You know, and mm -hmm. by the end of the day, you'd probably be taking 10, 15 pills though, right? Like you're just trying to take care of everything. It's like, it's really cool to hear you say, if you take a step back and you look at it from more of a standpoint of optimization and promote your overall, what do you need as a human being? Like health as a human being, right? Yeah. Then you look at your body as a whole, you look at your, uh, and your body and what your body needs and you look at your lifestyle as a whole. And once you do that, then you can kind of see it from the big picture of, okay, what can I do to have the best quality of life? Um, and mm -hmm. it's cool to hear you say that. Th this sounds to me very much like it's, it is, you know, it's, it's such an important time of life though, to get the, mo you know, to really enjoy, you know, to really enjoy mm -hmm. and to every time of life is time that you should enjoy. But like, it's, um, just because the current medical system doesn't have a way to help people through this doesn't mean that people shouldn't actually, um, we should just write off this time and be like, um, you know, that they, that they just sort of have to resign themselves to not enjoying, yeah, exactly. you know, these, these and, years. And the, yeah. and the reason that is happening is because perimenopause and menopause, they aren't diseases, you know, doctors are trained to treat diseases. And so, you know, it's a natural, you know, for most women, it's a natural process. And so it's like, oh, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, your levels are supposed to be here, you know? Okay, well, you know, here's the only options that we have, you know, that could maybe put a bandaid on it. And not to say that antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications aren't helpful for women, for, you know, patients that absolutely need it, of course. Um, but as a treatment for a lack of estrogen, it's, you know, it doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, so 
you know, like I said, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future that doctors are starting to get more educated on that to help their patients or at least know when to refer, you know, to someone that can help them. Um, but yeah, it's they're they're not trained to optimize and or even do prevention, like you mentioned. Um, so if they don't see a, a disease, you know, it's like, OK, well, it's not that. Let's move mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a system thing, right? It's just how it's a system thing. It's not like a, doctors are not, you know it's not a personal thing. It's not that doctors are shitty, right? It's, um, some are great, you know, some are less than great, but it's a system thing. It's how is the system set up to provide care basically? Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. So, and, and, you know, you know, doctors do the best with what they have, you know, and so that's Mm -hmm. why it's important to let women know that there are other resources when it comes to this time in life. And you said, and like you mentioned too, like this is a wonderful time. It should be a wonderful time for women. All the years, wisdom, experience, they probably raised their families. Like, you know, it's time for them to really enjoy themselves and their significant other and their life and all the things that they've built. Mm-hmm. And that they deserve to feel good. And, and and like I said, it's a pause. Like, really take some time to fill out, what do I need to do to fill my cup? Because I've been pouring out to others for so long. What do I need right now so that I can have this second half of my life be for me, you know, so mm-hmm. I, and, and then, so I can show up for my family better, show up for my career better. Like, you know, there's so much significance of that time. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, you know, women need more support so they can, you know, know how to navigate through it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, affordability. That's another thing I want to ask you about. Um, affordability of treatments. How does most of that, how does it work? Um, is it covered by most insurance? Is it not covered by insurance? It's out of pocket. What's the forecast for that if it might change just kind of curious about all that yes absolutely so um there are fda approved commercial products of bioidentical hormones um the estradiol gel and the estradiol patch are on the market so that oftentimes it depends on the doctor depends you know on their knowledge about it and of course you know all insurance carriers should should be able to cover it, but it's a matter of it being prescribed. And so if the doctor's going to prescribe it, you'll most likely will get a gel or a patch that is usually covered by insurance. Same thing with progesterone. It comes in a capsule. Now, I prescribe, at, so I have a specialized practice. This is my niche. Um, I prescribe compounded hormones. So compounded hormones are made in a FDA pharmacy board regulated facility um, that is a pharmacy like a CVS or a Walgreens, but separate and private, and they make their own hormones there. So you can't go to a CVS for compounded hormones. You have to go to you know, um, a compounded specialty compounding pharmacy. And I do it that way because the products are clean. There's no additives. Um, for example, um, progesterone commercially is called Prometrium and it's made in a peanut oil base. Hmm. So if my patients have any allergies or any, you know, sensitivities to any of those um, chemicals that are added, we, they have a, you know, the compounding hormones are made in a cleaner base. So they are out of pocket. Unfortunately, um, there are maybe less than 20% of, um, uh, uh, of my patients that have it covered, hmm. um, through insurance, but mostly it's out of pocket. Okay. So, you know, there, there are, you know, if you can find an OBGYN or a PCP, uh, the primary care physician that um, specializes and knows how to prescribe, you know, hormones, goldmine, amazing, you know, but if you are more interested in the compounded products, then there are specialists like myself who prescribe compounded hormones. Okay. Um, so those are out of pocket. So, you know, not everyone can afford it. 
you know, um, but, you know, either way, as long as women are getting hormones, which is what my education is all about, um, then, you know, that's amazing. That's what I would want. Mm -hmm. So affordability just really depends on who you go to and what you're looking for. Okay. And then, you know, with things like pellets, I mean, that's a cash cow. Doctors make a lot of money on pellets um, because, you know, they're in office procedure and it tells a lot more, you know, so that's a lot more expensive than, you know, basic compounding or, you know, commercial hormones. Interesting. Okay. So the compounded hormones is um, where you can do combinations. You do like estrogen and progesterone together, yes. basically. Well, yeah, yeah. I, um, not something that I would recommend, but some doctors do. But yeah, there are a lot of different formulations, you know, because, you know, there are a lot of different uh, women that have different needs and certain things will work. Certain dosages, certain, um, you know, combinations will work for, for some and not others. You know, um, I tend to be very straightforward. I separate everything because of our skin receptors. You can't, if you put two hormones together, um, you have skin receptors uh, kind of like competing for those and you don't know how much is getting absorbed with what. So I separate things um, in the way that I practice. But um, yeah, a lot of different combination ways that you can, um, you know, prescribe hormones. Okay, cool. Cool. I want, so stories, I wanted to ask you some about some, some stories, um, because, um, our customer typically is our customer and audience typically is, um, coming to us for help with brain fog, mental clarity, um, ruminating thoughts is a big one that we found. Um, you know, ruminating thoughts that keep you awake during, keep you awake at night or keep you from being present with people during the daytime, you know, just being able to just relax and just be present, listen, yeah. connect. And that's a big one for quality of life. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's so for women in like this time in their life, they have such a multiplicative impact. They have, they have uh, so many relationships. They have a positive impact on, they have kids, they're influential on their kids, their partner, their friend group, their community, they share, you know, and so they're um, very much like a, you know, they're kind of the mover and the, sh the movers and the shakers They're They are the um, like a huge part of support system for a lot of people. And, um, and so they have this multiplicative positive impact. And so when they're healthier and they're happier and they're more relaxed and they're more present, it has this like massive positive impact um, in, within the community. Um, so I just kind of want to ask, um, yeah, see if wanted to ask you your, any, any kind of things that you've learned, surprising stories, stuff that you've seen from working with, uh, women in this field, um, that made yeah. you think like, wow, man, like what an impact this is having, what an impact creating this health is having in either maybe this individual woman's life or a broader community. I'm sort of curious if you have stuff that comes to mind that you'd want to share. Absolutely. So, you know, my patient base extends from, you know, uh, women that are, you know, running for positions in government to, you know, the, 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 the um, healthcare worker to women that, you know, serve in restaurants to women that have been stay at home moms. Um, so it, it's a vast majority of women. Everybody. Oftentimes. Yeah. Oftentimes the kind of first Thing or first um, initiator for them to come to my office is because they are noticing changes in their brain function or they're noticing changes in their mood. Okay. Um, especially someone who is a high performer 
who's having to make difficult decisions and be focused and be present all day, you know, that's super important. Um, and so what happens with estrogen as it declines, um, it affects our neurochemistry. So estrogen and serotonin um, are happy hormone are, and are very linked. And so as estrogen drops, our serotonin production drops. Mm. So that can cause the anxiety, the depression, um, the ruminating thoughts, the, you know, trouble sleeping. Um, and so when we bring back estrogen over time, it can help give that a boost. Um, and then, you know, with the anxiety portion, a lot of that has to do with, you know, maybe some adrenal stuff going on there. Um, but progesterone, our happy hormone, um, is, which is typically made in the second half of our cycle, um, is interlinked with GABA. Hmm. GABA is a neurohormone that causes relaxation. So we combine those together. Um, oftentimes she's able to sleep, um, be more calm and more relaxed and more focused with the estrogen and progesterone. Okay. So the first, when I'm starting someone on hormones, I'm always looking the first couple of weeks for those areas to um, be taken care of, to, or at least show some progress um, that we're headed in the right direction. And if we're not, then I adjust in dosing. But typically that's, those are the first type of type, um, signs that tend to change as we start hormones. So you asked for stories. Um, so that would be let's, estrogen yeah. linked to serotonin. So mood, yeah. that's one of the first things you're yes. looking at is how's mood changing? And yes. then, and then progesterone is linked to GABA and that's sort of relaxation, which is kind of sleep. So that's the other thing you're looking at. It's like mood and sleep basically. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. And so, you know, estrogen um, increases the enzymes that make serotonin and then estrogen also kind of blocks the degradation of serotonin. So it helps promote its production and it allows it to stay in our brain long or in our system longer. Um, so it's, it's very, very heavily, you know, connected there. Um, I mean, I have countless stories of, you know, uh, women um that gosh well, i could think of one case um i had a woman come to me she was in her late 40s early 50s and um i forgot what you know her profession was or what she was doing but she was saying that she has trouble focusing at work and she's about to lose her job um and she couldn't you know get her projects completed in time basically. And so she was being like threatened and having her work double checked and all this stuff because she couldn't focus. Um, so she came to me, started on hormone replacement therapy. And I think it took about three months for her to start feeling confident in what she was doing again. The other, there are other you know, parts of that is she wasn't sleeping as well. Um, so, you know, we had to really get, make sure that she was having good, deep quality sleep. And that's where progesterone came in. Mm -hmm. I might've given her some extra support, either melatonin or some passion flower as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but we eventually got that taken care of. And then, um, as far as the cognitive function, um, I, you know, I told her, we really got to start doing some meditation. We really need to calm things down as we're, you know, letting the estrogen, you know, built in her system. Um, we talk about meditation and exercise actually. And so over time that started st slowly started to come back. So, but the, you know, that's, there's countless stories like that, you know, mm. that, you know, just, it's, it's so important that it gets, it, we are there for our patients and we meet them where they are. Um, and, and really hear like how much of a struggle these changes are. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's, you know, one of the stories with cognitive function. Beautiful. For sure. Wow. Yeah. Are you doing the, are you do, leading the meditation teaching? Are you doing the meditation no. teaching too? <laughs> I wish I had time at our visits too, but no, I don't. <laughs> I do not lead the meditations, but yeah, there are definitely some really good apps, you know, out there that are really helpful. So um, I, I was really impressed when you said that. I was like, wow, like, 
doing that hormone therapy and then you're like, okay, why we wait? Know, the, right? Why we wait? Why we wait those forty-five minutes for your patch to kick in? Let's do a little. Close your eyes. <laughs> Take some deep breaths. <laughs> oh, let's do our little meditation. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool though. So you're doing, you know, you're so women are benefiting from the hormones. Plus, there's other supplementation that you're providing. You mentioned some cool ones. I like passion flower a lot too. We use that. I use that personally and i that's in one or one or two a couple of our tinctures um yeah and then uh and then meditation too is like a awesome one you know it's like so cool the that's so gotten it feels like that's gotten so popular but it's so awesome just to hear yeah. how people have just been how they benefit from it and how they're like wow like man meditation like it's not even like a, a religious thing or necessarily for people it's, or a spiritual things it's like it's just like hey like just sit yeah. here be learn to be with emotion, hard emotions, process emotions, just sit in things and just like hear how happy it makes people and how it just kind of gives them a sense of peace and tranquility. Um, yeah, it's really absolutely. Yeah, there's I mean, there's new, numerous studies to prove that too. You know, like it, it's it's endless and it's so simple and it's free. You know, and I think you know people need to take advantage of it more. Um, you know with the meditation, like the, the women that I see too are often like on the go. They just never stop, take time for themselves. And then we do some adrenal function testing and, you know, we talk about their anxiety and their, you know, inability to sleep. And I tell them like, your brain is, you know, geared to keep you alive. So it doesn't know the difference between um, meeting a deadline or dealing with emotional stress versus a tiger or bears running after you, trying to kill you. And so, it's all the same. And so we're going to have that stress response are the same. So I, you know, tell my patients at least two to three times a day for two minutes, just sit and check in with yourself and focus on doing deep breathing yeah. just for a minute or two to start changing that your, your, the, the nervous system's response. Um, and over time, you know, that can be helpful, a lot easier to kind of attune yourself to that, but it takes a lot of practice and consistency, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think people think it's too simple, you know, so they don't really utilize it as much, but it's so effective. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's uh, the, somebody described it to me really well. They were like Emily, uh, Emily Kessler. Um, she's, uh, we're doing a, she's going to be on the show. I think next month, really cool mm -hmm. woman based in Santa Cruz actually. So like up this, mm -hmm. um, yeah. closer to you than I am, but still kind of far away. Mm -hmm. Um, Northern yes, California. Yes. Um, She's a meditation mm -hmm. teacher and she talks, her way of describing meditation is so cool to me. She says like, you know, meditation is like 20 minutes to make your 23 hours and 40 minutes better. Mm -hmm. Like meditation is about like, she's like, it's about the 23 hours and 40 minutes that you're not meditating. Yeah. That's really what That's it's about. That's amazing. Love that perspective. <laughs> cool, <laughs> right? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I might use that. That is so amazing. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah. Um, and then um, when you said, you said passion flower and um, uh, with passion flower specifically, I'm kind of curious, what are you finding? Are you, do you know like what the pharmacokinetics or pharmacology of that is? Like when, when specifically for women, like during that you're working with during midlife, you know, that where you, who you're helping with hormones, um, are you finding like, do you have thoughts on what you think is sort of the reason that how that's working and what, what that's 
what causes that to be so helpful? Is it like the ser- serotonin? Is it GABA? You think? Is it kind of just? I'm just kind of curious. What I sort of think of it yeah. as, like I look for ingredients that are for focus. You know, I look mm-hmm. for ingredients that are actually soothing to the nervous system as opposed to stimulating, because the idea behind a lot of like anxiety medic, the idea behind a lot of focus medications, because I had I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was eighteen, and so like. The idea behind that, the medications that they were going to give me was like that it stimulates the nervous system, right? And then anxiety medication is kind of like the opposite. You know, you have like your SSRIs and like your, like all this other, these other medications. Yeah. And um, and so I had this kind of a approach for formulation for our products, which was soothe the nervous system, calm the, like soothe the nervous system and create, allow yourself to kind of create that space that you create when you meditate where like you were saying, you are aware that the mind is just doing what the mind does. And you're not, yeah. you're not your thoughts. You're not your feelings. You have actually, you know, you're the person witnessing those feelings. You're the person hearing those thoughts. And when you create enough space and you create enough peace and calm and tranquility in the nervous system, then you get this kind of deep sense of real focus, which is what how I think about it, which was mm-hmm. I'm not wired by caffeine or sugar or some yeah. am- amphetamine. I'm actually truly like at peace internally and my awareness, my focus is then on if it needs to be on this conversation, it's on this conversation. If it's needs to be on this story, I'm supposed to be writing or reading work. Um, so that's kind of how, like what, how I think about focus, honestly, is, is like, a, in the words of Bill Murray, you're the most focused when you're very, very relaxed. Um, but that's kind of how I think about it. Curious. Um, yeah, what do you think yeah. about that? I'm just curious, what, what, what do you think about as that? As far as the pharmacokinetic, pharmacokinetics of these herbs, it's been many years since med school when I had to study that. I can't, <laughs> I don't know the individual impact, but generally when I'm looking at herbal support, I'm focusing on the nervines. Um, if not adrenal adaptogens, then the nervines. So nervines is a class of herbs that helps calm the nervous system. And we have tonifying nervines and then we have relaxing nervines. Mm. So the tonifying nervines, I think like blue, for Bane, uh, a couple other ones that I can't remember. Um, but the, the the relaxing nervines are like the valerian root, the mm. kava, the flower, the lavender, the lemon balm, the chamomile. You know, so um, those are, you know, what I tend to go towards. I'm personally drawn to passion flower. If I'm having trouble sleeping, I'll use a passion flower tincture. Mm. Um, so that's kind of like my first go-to for a lot of my patients and they tend to do well with it. If not, then we'll try other options to see what we can find that fits with their, you know, body chemistry. Um, you know, if for whatever reasons, estrogen, progesterone aren't enough. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just tend to be drawn or uh, use the class of, of, uh, general herbs to, um, promote relaxation in specific, you know, when it comes to sleep in regards to sleep. Nervines. Um, yeah. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Herbal medicine is amazing. <laughs> so last questions before we go. A um, huh. little bit, what, I'd love to hear just a, a little bit about your story. Like what motivated you to be a naturopathic doctor and then what brought you you said at the beginning that you were called to help with be a hormone doctor, to help women as a hormone doctor. And just su- super fascinated by that. Um, you know, plug us, tell us a little bit yeah, about that story. Yeah, sure. So um, I was always, you know, wanting to go to medical school. So I was just on that general path. Um, okay. I also at one point wanted to be a forensic pathologist, totally 
left field. Um, so that just led me to the path oh, of medical school. At one school. point, you wanted to be a what? Forensic pathologist. <laughs> you know, Forensic you know, crime scene Yeah. So they study, you know, the um, crime scene investigation, autopsies. They kind of figure out, you know, what, you know, caused the murder, like all that stuff. <laughs> so nice. a little bit of a you know, other side of things. Um, but that you have, you have to go to medical school for, for all of that. So on my journey, doing my pre-med courses, I um, took an anatomy lab. So we're dissecting, you know, um, human bodies. And I knew immediately I did not want to work with the dead. I wanted to work with the living <laughs> after that experience. So <laughs> that, you know, I course corrected. <laughs> So that, but you know, I continued doing my pre-med courses. And then um, at UC Davis, there was a huge uh, uh, student medical association conference that they held every year. I'm not sure if it's still going on, but it was at that time. And there was this, so you had surgeons, you had internal medicines, you had OBGYNs, all these different doctors giving um, workshops on what they do hmm. to, to, so that we can learn as students, oh, what we're interested in That's cool. um, before, before we go to med school. There was this one little workshop by a naturopathic doctor from Oregon. I was like, what is this? Right. So I go, it was like a 20, 30 minute workshop. She has this path out, this disease. Um, and she broke it down on the board, you know, causes and all that stuff, the biochemical pathways that cause it. And so you have all this stuff up here. She breaks it down all the way to the root cause of whatever that disease was. And she was like, this is where we start as naturopathic doctors. We start here to find out the root of diseases. We don't start up here and treat treat the symptoms. Mm. And it clicked with my soul. Like that literally was the moment that changed the course of my entire life. And I decided that was what I was going to do. Mm. Um, so luckily, you know, they required the same pre-med courses. Um, so I'd already been on that path. And at that time, the only schools available for, so um, naturopathic medical doctors are trained in four-year accredited naturopathic medical universities. Hmm. There are some doctors that call themselves naturopaths that get an online certificate, right? But they do not have a medical license to practice. So at that time, the only medical schools available for naturopathic doctors were in Oregon, Washington, Arizona, maybe another one in Connecticut. Um, but the year after I discovered naturopathic medicine, they announced their new campus in San Diego, California. So it was like the heavens aligned. You know, I, li I live in San Diego and I was like, this is it. Like, there's not even a question. <laughs> so that's when I started my medical school journey. Um, I was enrolled in 2017, uh, sorry, 2013, graduated in 2017, got my license in 2018 um, and have been practicing ever since. So, and, awesome. and, and then what, uh, there, what, you know, what college was it or what university was it? Bastier, sorry, Bastier University. Yeah, so it's it's down in Sereno Valley in San Diego. It's the sister campus to the Washington location. So you know, Bastier. Yeah. Um, the three. And uh, like, this is a random aside, but the three naturopathic doctors that work with us uh, yeah. that do the Sojin formulations are our Bastier graduates. Yeah. Woo. You might <laughs> you might proud. even know them actually. I probably do. I was a small community. <laughs> do you know Victoria Chan? No, I don't actually. Oh, don't <laughs> Victoria Chan, <Okay>. no. Sydney <laughs> Cruz, Victoria yeah. Chan, Andrew Zakowski. I don't know if any of those sound familiar. It could have yeah. been did that. They the Washington, the Washington campus. They, they did, yeah. Went to the Washington. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's a bigger school, bigger community up there, yeah. <laughs> okay. Could have. But that's awesome. Before or after, too. I don't know. 
Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so uh, and then once I got into practice, um, I was working for another doctor at the time. And I um, kind of was figuring out what I wanted to do. Two years later, I branched out and opened up my practice in 2019. Um, but um, all throughout medical school, I was my favorite herbalist. Her name was Susan Weed. And she calls herself an old crone. She focuses her education around menopause. And I've been following her for years even before I got into practice. And that's when I started to learn about menopause and her philosophy with menopause and the herbs she used to treat menopausal, menopausal symptoms. And so I had that background and foundation. But when I got into private practice, I was doing general medicine. But I kept getting women, of course, um, that needed help with their perimenopausal menopausal symptoms. And I was just like, you know, the only person available that understood it, at least somewhat at that time. And then once I started to understand the true deep need that, you know, I needed to be there to help women through this time, I just went full in for it. So, and then decided to make that my full commitment. And I still do some digestive support and treatments and adrenal support. Of course, you know, it's all encompassing, but mm. my, my main approach is, is to help women in, you know, 40 plus in that time of life. It's so cool. So here we are today. Yeah. It came to, it came to you. <laughs> it sure did, you know. Once once you, you know, start on your path that you feel like God or the universe is pulling you into, everything will will get in line. Like you just follow where you feel like you're being pulled. I, I am a true believer in that. So likewise. It's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. It's a beautiful story and pretty grateful <laughs> for all you. the positivity you're putting out into the world. Thank you. You as well. What, yeah, definitely. So last question, um, I know you got an appointment soon, so I want to make sure to wrap up on time here. But for people that are listening, what is the best way for them to find you, connect with you, get in touch and kind of learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is goldenleafhc.com. I have a hormone quiz on there. You can also schedule a, cons a free consultation with me. Um, to, you know, kind of talk about whatever questions you have um, and see mm -hmm. if, you know, if you would like to work with me. Um, you can awesome. find me on TikTok at Menopause Doctor, on Instagram at ND Ashley, um, and then here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's been so fun. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you for Likewise. thanks for being so generous of your time and talk. Look forward to yeah, having you on for absolutely. round two. Uh, looking forward to it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and that's our show. Please take a moment to like this podcast and subscribe, so we can keep you updated each time we release a new episode. I'll see you next time.